This is the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. Welcome back to the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. I'm Marty Wolf, and with me in the studio today is Mike McHale. Mike is the CEO of PSA Systems. That stands for Production Systems Automation. You can find Mike at PSASystems.com. Uh, Mike, we have a special guest in the studio with us today. So would you like to introduce him? We do. Good afternoon, Marty. And uh, we'd like to introduce uh, Ted Brunel. Uh, Ted is the Chief uh, Technology Officer at SciSwift, uh, located here, right here in uh, beautiful downtown Scranton. I'll give you a little background on Ted uh, right from his LinkedIn page, and this is a pretty big statement. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur who has successfully started, developed, and commercialized multiple companies in several disciplines. Cy Swift, uh, our most recent venture, focuses on Department of Defense focused artificial intelligence and big data solutions developed embedded microcontrollers, PCBs, design, programming, and integration. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I uh, really appreciate the, the introduction. That uh, goes above and beyond, I think. Um, why don't you jump in and tell us, uh, what is SciSwift and what are you working on right now? So SciSwift is an artificial intelligence and augmented reality-based uh, company. We're primarily focused on taking large quantities of data and putting automation behind it in uh, a programmatic way, uh, typically using artificial intelligence models and algorithms. Um, I just got back from uh, over the weekend from speaking at the Jake or the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center under the Department of Defense about better ways we can optimize and improve our uh, national defense initiatives. Um, let's How much see, can so, you talk about that? Because I'd like to learn more about what you talked about at that conference. Can you go into any detail in that or is that kind of secret stuff? Sure, more than happy to. So what, what we actually uh, have developed in-house is uh, an automated assistant or a, a chatbot of sorts. We're using natural language abstract descriptions of what somebody needs in software. Uh, the AI interprets that semantically and figures out an optimal route for actually turning that into agile sprint packages and then iteratively improves, improves upon it. So your agile team can uh, work with the uh, the project owner and basically uh, project owner can say I need XYZ website it has to do a certain function it has to have authentication and uh, provide a, a number of different um, features and that gets uh, optimized figures out the ideal best route and turns it into uh, the actionable tickets yeah uh, Mike so, you want to take so, them down a certain path too right so, that, so that's pretty deep um, yeah that is <laughs> so so let's talk about your uh, how you got involved with DOD this is something I just learned uh, just here recently as we were prepping for the show that uh Nick Rosati, our, uh, our, our, the, uh, the individual that handles DOD work inside of PSA, actually is the one that talked you into to starting to look at DOD contracts. Excellent question. Why don't question. you tell us about that? Uh, Nick and I, were we sat down a while ago, several years ago, and he uh, and Nick is one of the, the head engineers at, uh, at Production Systems Automation. And Nick said, you know, have you ever considered the SBI or STTR programs under DOD? And I said, well, that's, that's uh, primarily uh, military work. I, I don't think that's really something that we... Uh, capable of being involved in right now. He said, no, 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 go online, check it out. Here's some printouts. Let's look at how this can apply with, with dealing with programming AI and software and how that can actually integrate into larger military type systems. And we went through it and uh, I said, Nick, this is great. There's, there's a couple of things here that are definitely accomplishable that we could, uh, we could start putting together proposals on. So we did that and that was our intro. We won a, um, we were awarded a uh, SOCOM contract for rapid software development, uh, basically making software, uh, software factory in the cloud. 
Hmm. Interesting. So, so let's let's talk about how automation and robotics with AI and machine learning are going to meld themselves here in the next 5, 10, 15 years. What do you think the future holds for automation and technology as far as you see it? Excellent question. Well, I think AI can be broken down into three main areas. Getting things done, preventing things from happening, like alerting users to an impending attack or taking me- uh, medical symptoms and uh, correlating that to syndromes, or planning and logistics. And if we look at all these, let's take uh, process automation. If we take process automation, it really starts with first putting in the robotics and the sensors to gather the data. Because once you have the data, you can start correlating that into a model and then making predictions or analyzing how to improve the, the, uh, the system. There's supportive AI, which can do things like predict failures. Uh, the Army has a huge initiative that they accomplished in 2018 for predicting rotor, uh, rotor bearing failures in helicopters far mm-hmm. in advance of their actual failure. Uh, bearings and bushings, tool life expectancy, things of that, of that nature. And then there's optimizing processes, taking into account things like geospatial factors, such as time and location and cost of processes, and organizing robotic uh, coordination so things really get done in the most efficient manner. So, so basically, what, we're, what you're trying to say is, before we can actually get into machine learning or AI really deep, automation, robotics, and say that this smart factory or smart manufacturing actually has to happen first before we have enough data to actually really dive into machine learning. Absolutely critical. If you don't have the robots and the cobots and you don't have the automation to begin with, don't even look, look at AI unless you're doing entirely uh, big data analysis. Hmm. That's interesting. So your company and what you're doing with automation, I think, is absolutely critical. It's a critical segue for not just a company, but for, for the country as a whole to make that transition and keep, up with, keep pace with the rest of the world with AI. Wow. That's pretty deep, Marty. What do you what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm thinking it's over my head, um, but but I, I you know I do understand the idea of uh, you know uh, healthcare is of interest to me, manufacturing is of interest to me, and you're talking about in the military. Um, talk to me if you can or if you feel comfortable talking about like in the manufacturing segment. Uh, how does robotics and AI and machine learning connect to uh, manufacturing as a general category, Ted? Sure, absolutely. So. When, when we started off with artificial intelligence, a lot of people just considered it um, predictive analytics or basic uh, linear regressive analysis. So basically, here's, here's how something happens. If we keep on going down this trend, it's going to happen along this trend line. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of uh, migrated toward uh, categorization or classification models where we can do visual inspection so we can tell whether or not a part is out of round or if a, we can basically do the equivalent of pre-CMM work or a coordinated measuring machines. So just optically, you can look at a part and say, yes, that was a machine right, or no, kick it off the assembly line into the reject pile. But now we're actually entering a really interesting time in, in uh, the world in that the models are predicting the best way of organizing things. Let me give you a case example. Let's take Amazon.com. Amazon used to organize things in their warehouses very orderly and logically. They used to have an entire shelf or a rack of a certain type of item, and that's where everything would be kept. What they found is that was the least efficient way of, of storing things, and that we've all been doing things very wrong in, in warehousing. The best way of storing things is to store things randomly and haphazardly as they come in and let the AI sort them out. Mm. So basically, run some algorithms, take your automation equipment, and your automation equipment can pull them in the best fashion and route them into the box into the end customer. Hmm. That's interesting. So random selection, is that the words that Ran- we use on another show? It would be, ra- be random selection of, of materials. 
Ran- random selection, random placement. In the sense that that visual, the, the equipment can visualize this, pick this up, and, and and then literally pick it up or place it in the right uh, bin or whatever they're going to do. Correct. Pick it up, put it in the right bin, put it in a box, and eventually airlift it to the person's house using but, a one-off but, drone. But but at, at Amazon currently, they're still doing most of that by hand. Yeah. So 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 a human doesn't care where something's alphabetized if if you have instructions to go to go to yeah, aisle three. You know, elevation two and pick a part out. Very it, that, that doesn't have to be in any specific order. In fact, it's better if it's not in a specific yeah. order. Let's let's say a great a, point. A topic's tending, uh, trending on um, on Twitter or Facebook, and Pet Rock 2.0 becomes a thing. If they're storing all the pet rocks on one aisle, and you have thirty employees rushing that aisle, there's going to be a mm. bottleneck as to how many people can go there. Now, mm. if we sort those all over randomly in the country in different bins, but we have that all kept into a database or a model that can make sense of this, we can have robots or people ind- independently pick these, eventually replaced by robots, and dropped off to the person's house with that bottleneck. Well, that's very interesting. I didn't did not know that detail. So That's what we're here. We're here to learn wow, something. Absolutely. And and, and Ted said uh, a minute or two ago, like we've been doing warehousing. All wrong. And so, but we're doing it all wrong because we didn't know any different. Is that correct, Ted? Now we're learning and applying what we're learning. Am I correct? We're, we're learning from the analytical data, and mm-hmm. the data is really key. AI has three main components. It has frameworks and models. It has data, and it has hardware. Frameworks and models have really been commoditized. You have TensorFlow, and you can basically you download a model in a, in a few lines of code, have some AI running. You have data, and which we'll get to in a second. And then we have hardware. We have NVIDIA and all the big guys who are who've basically made building a custom PC or a custom rig to train AI, absolutely. You just buy something off the shelf and it's there the next day and it just works. Your data, however, is going to be the new commodity, the commodity of the future because tag data specifically, things that can have a, a loss function associated with it so you can actually train a model, is absolutely critical and is in such limited supply. That's really the uh, the next, what I envision is going to be the economy of uh, computers for the next 10, 15 years. Huh. It's pretty interesting. I mean, what we're talking about here seems very complicated. How are you finding people to? How are you finding people that to, to help you with this? How are you recruiting? How are you monitoring your employees? How, how do you handle all this? Really great questions. Um, currently, uh, we found most of our talent through uh, local uh, economic development organizations like TechBridge, um, also through our uh, universities and schools. Um, Wilkes University has been absolutely instrumental. University of Scranton. Um, all the local colleges, uh, we've had very uh, bright individuals who've come out of those programs who've usually started off as interns or entry-level engineers, mm. and they've migrated their way up the line. Well, that's, re- that's really that's You, you really attended the University of Scranton, correct? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. For, pre-me- uh, for medicine, pre-medicine. For, pre- you, for you, pre-med, pre-med and you know, AI and machine learning yeah. kind of ties together, I guess. <laughs> I mean, how did you it make, probably how did, does. How did you, know? how did you make that transition? <laughs> Loosely linked. Loosely <laughs> <laughs> linked. Wow. Okay. So, and, and Rochester Institute of Technology spent some time there, too. Yes, I did. Yes, and I, did. I guess that brought home, uh, got you more focused on what you ended up doing, I suppose. It made me appreciate how warm our winters in Scranton are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, as opposed to Rochester. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me about, uh, about the program that you have written that actually tracks your programmers and rates. Sure. Uh, that's that's very interesting because I want to you know, talk about how the, the computer is going to be writing the code for the computer without people here shortly. I think that is the future. I think we're, we're a few generations out from that and not human generations, but we're a few code generations out from actually being able to do that. But um, the uh, the project that we spoke about at the Jake um, 
where the Artificial Intelligence Center um, really deals with being able to describe what you want programmed and then having that be the two-headed person that takes the requirements from the the um, end-user state and translate that to the other head, which is the, the technical state. So basically something a programmer can act on. What we envision is actually being able to take a system like this and describe something like even a CAD model and say, I want almost like Jarvis and Iron, Iron Man. Yeah. Um, I want to be able to develop X, Y, or Z and it throws a model on the screen, unless you rotate it around say, that's great, but it has to mount to this bracket or this bulldozer and it'll add those brackets on and use things like GANs or generative adversarial networks to guess at it. The, the next iteration where this actually stemmed out of was the SOCOM project. And that's where we uh, tried to rate programmers dynamically, not just on the number of lines of code that they wrote that day, like IBM used to do in the late 60s and early 70s, but use semantic analysis and actually try to determine the intent and difficulty of the lines that they were coding. Hmm. One uh, difficulty, I think, in any business is, is your, is your guy, especially in, in the, uh, the higher level trades, such as engineering and, and software and mathematics, is, is your guy who's spending the time doodling at the whiteboard actually producing value? Or is he just sitting there uh, daydreaming or conversely is the guy who's banging out a thousand lines of code a day actually helping or is he putting out 10,000 lines of loosely written code and what we did was we actually tried to determine the genius factor the the difficulty of those lines the genius factor wow that's that's really interesting so i guess that, that you know are you the only one to do it, doing this is there other companies doing it does amazon google does everyone do this or is this something that, that you dreamed up very good question. Uh, to my knowledge, right now, we're the only people doing non-static code analysis. So wow. static code analysis is basically the, the analysis of uh, given a set of rules of source code. We're actually trying to determine whether the effort that somebody put into uh, into that code. Mm. So, so what's your hit rate? What do you, I mean, how, is it successful, not successful? Is it a work in progress? Where are you at? Always a work in progress. Um, I think that, that pretty much everything in the... Um, um, in the in the thinking trades is is really and I think working. Trans technology related, uh, no, no, everything changed since eleven o'clock this morning, and it's <laughs> always being modified. Correct? Yes, it has. Yeah. So our guest is Ted Brunell, and his company is Sci Swift. S C I S W I F T dot com. Swift dot com. You can learn more about Ted and his company and all these exciting things that he's doing, and and obviously uh, leading edge and to some of us maybe bleeding edge um, kind of information. I, I, it's fascinating. And again, we always like to make the point, like uh, like even PSA systems happening here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's it's really. Uh, I mean, this is pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and I mean, Ted, you, you mentioned that you're pulling um, are all your employees from our region, from northeastern Pennsylvania, for the most part, without exception. Yes, in, in fact, I credit most of our success to our schools and to our uh, our resources that we have locally. Uh, coincidentally, most of my employees aren't just going to school or haven't haven't just graduated from schools in our area, but they actually were raised and born in this area uh, or mm -hmm. the greater Pennsylvania area. Um, actually, they were, they're all from Pennsylvania now that, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that we have really untapped resources and anybody who says that they can make a go of a business here is just doing something wrong. They're, they're not looking at the problem the right way or they're not asking the right questions. I love yeah. that. Wow. <laughs> not looking so, at it the right way, not asking the right questions. Uh, but yeah. It makes makes perfect sense. It does. It's the title of my next book. Uh, there it is. Write it down. <laughs> Give some credit to Ted for making Absolutely. that statement. He, you know? he can write the foreword. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So you got something, you're going to so ask what, something. I mean, what do, you, what do you see in 5, 10, 15 years? Like, where are we going? I mean, how, how deep is this going to, how deep do you see this technology advancing in 5, 10, 15 years? When you said, a couple of minutes ago, you said a couple generations of code. What does that mean couple to, the, to the layman person? 
Great question. Uh, code tends to mature, I believe, in stages. Uh, first, somebody says, you know, it's it's impossible to do anything beyond statistical analysis. And then before you know, you're doing gradient descents and you're, you're actually saying, wow, I can train an AI, AI model. And then the next step is we can actually have a, a program that can make something like deep fakes, which is, which is a huge concern. A deep fake is basically a, uh, taking an image of somebody and being able to have a video and talk and look just like that person mm. from a single image. Wow. Indistinguishably so from, from other systems. Where's the, the end progression? I think that most of our, uh, our jobs aren't going to go away. I think that they're going to be split. I think we're going to have more tradesmen, and we have a, a very big need for people like machinists, electricians, and plumbers. And I think we're going to have the very high-level uh, mathematicians and programmers who are going to maintain the systems. I, I think that by no means are our jobs going to be uh, going away. I think just like the um, when horses were popular for most of the transportation, uh, there was the blacksmith. And his job hasn't gone away. It's migrated to making parts for aircraft now and cars. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting you know, thought process. So you positively see this as a positive uh, forward momentum in, in our lives and uh, in our communities? And there's so many applications, right? I think it's absolutely critical that we embrace the technology. And a very simple reason is if we don't, somebody else who mm. may be a bad guy already mm. is and has. Well, I think they are. I they, mean, they are. I think we've learned that already. They are. And the, the, the extent and the level of, of use presently is, uh, is uh, amazing. I mean, if, if you look at how you can take an image and actually have it look like another person and then sample somebody's voice for 15 seconds and sound like that person – and produce a video that even their their parents and family can't tell that it's not actually that person speaking. It's pretty concerning. Yeah, well, while you were speaking, and actually, hopefully, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're comfortable with this too, but the whole idea of voice, uh, the Alexis of the world, and all the kind of stuff, and, and relating to AI and machine learning, uh, that's a big part of our future, is it not also, Ted? It very much so is. I think it's already changed a lot of what we do and how we do things. Just being able to have an assistant that you can converse with in natural language is, is a real game changer. I mean, from anything from, from saying, can you order me a pizza to uh, can you set a reminder for 3 p.m.? And I have to be careful what words I say so my phone doesn't pick up and start <laughs> recording an appointment. But um, it, the technology has gotten pretty advanced. And it's listening all the time. It is. I it know is. it's listening. Even when you I don't can, think it I is. Can, I can mention something and all of a sudden I have a pop-up on the next website I go to. It's really yeah. it's kind of remarkable. One of the most disconcerting things is I was home at night. It was probably 2, 3 in the morning. I was out machining a part in the garage and I was planning something out. And I said, oh God, after I, I messed up a part that I had worked hours on. And my phone picked up and said, is everything all right? You show distress. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Well, you know, Ted, I think that so many people, we talk about the AI and machine learning and People don't realize it's it's here. It, it, it is artificial intelligence is here in robotics, in the voice controls and everything that we're doing in your phone. It's in your car. It's in your car. And I think people think this is far off. It's here. Now we're, we're advancing it, obviously. It's not just here, but there's actually a really low barrier to entry if somebody wants mm. to play around with it. You can download a framework in probably a, a half a day and actually have a model that can drive a car on the screen with limited computer skills outside of Python. Um, if you want to do something more more advanced and do semantic analysis of text, you can take an unknown author and start classifying it using algorithms like uh, mm. uh, Markov chains or figure out the semantic meaning of a of an abstract from a book or a movie using something like word to vec hmm. Who else do you um, communicate with 
Um, do you go to conferences other than the ones you're speaking at? Uh, how do you stay up to speed? I, I know you are, I'll use the phrase, a tinkerer. You, you like to do things on your own. But is there podcasts you listen to, books you do, you read? Or how do you communicate with other folks in your field and, and what you do? Excellent question. Um, primarily through online resources, we look for the newest frameworks and the people that are contributing to those frameworks, uh, especially in AI or have really neat products or articles in trade magazines. And then we'll contact them and say, could you tell me something more about that? Or mm. could I have access to the data set that you used for this? And most of the time, they're, they're very friendly people. They'll actually engage you in, in discussion and contribute to anything to help the endeavor. Um, yeah. I think that uh, Twitter has, has helped. Uh, Definitely keeping uh, keeping in the community and message boards, being a part of things like um, the uh, slash dot where you get the latest articles. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I would think that uh, that's a um, that's an important part because uh, even if you're learning on your own, there has to be a, a network, if you will, to use that framework uh, or that that uh, choice of words to say that you know you're always learning. Just like you as a human being are continuing to learn, you're just using all the tools of the trade, if you will. Very true. Correct. Very true. Yeah. You have any more questions on your list there, Mike? I think we covered just about everything that yeah. I needed to talk about. Anything on your list, Ted, that we didn't cover or you'd like to close up with something about yourself, your company, or anything uh, from that standpoint? Well, if anybody's interested in seeing how AI could help their business, I really don't think there's too big or too small a business where it can help or an industry which is it's precluded from, whether it's uh, – machining or it's uh, oil and gas drilling or it's military applications. And uh, I encourage anybody to contact me with uh, for more information or seeing how we can come down and talk about um, the pain points in your business and how we can help. And that sure. place to go is SciSwift.com? Yes, sir. S-C-I-S-W-I-F-T, SciSwift.com. Ted Brunell has been our guest on the PSA podcast. Mike, we good to go? We're great. Mike Definitely. and Martin, thank, thank you, Ted. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on.